Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 210. This week, we talk about hacking your car using the OBD2 connector. We talk audio and OLED. Apple revokes Facebook and Google certificates. Google is trying to trick us. And modern forecasts are accurate. Change my mind. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. How's it going, Carl? It's going pretty good. That's great. So what do we have for the comment of the week? Uh, this one we got off of Twitter from the .NET Core show. So uh, take a little pause if you're into .NET Core. It's an awesome podcast. Go check it out. I've, I've never uh, heard of it. <laughs> yep. Um, uh, I actually know him through the Coding Blocks podcast. Uh, podcasting is uh, apparently a small community, and I apparently know most of them. But anyways, uh, he was actually uh, retweeting or uh commenting out on uh, the fact that the WinForms team is actually uh, hiring uh, a .NET Core developer uh, to bring uh, WinForms to .NET Core and work with the open source community. And he was retweeting that and said, for those who think that WinForms is old hat, there's a great start uh, on the most recent MS Dev show that said the WinForms is still very popular. Plus, you can also run it on WebAssembly. Definitely a technology to keep an eye still. So we definitely appreciate uh, the call out. And in return, uh, we're going to mention you on our podcast. Woohoo! Podcast to podcast. You help but us yeah. help you. <laughs> but, you know, one of the things I, I think is really uh, amazing is uh, for quite a few years, like the WinForms and WPF developers have been kind of wondering where their place in the world has been because, uh, you know, once Windows Phone and Windows 8 kind of came around, like Microsoft seemed to be pushing UWP at the at the detriment to those technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the reinvestment back into making these technologies open source, adding new features, uh, making them so those feature for those technologies can interoperate better with UWP, I think it really shows that Microsoft is investing in all of its technologies that it has. So, yeah. Now, I, I think the important part of this is that it is it is a sustainable approach, right? Like .NET Core is obviously here to stay. And if the WinForms piece of it is built on top of that and it is open sourced and people can maintain it and Microsoft has somebody dedicated to it, I think that it'll stay around. I, I know there was uh I, I don't I don't know, you know, if I should even say this, but there were uh you know, there were some developers hired for uh I guess it was around I guess it was for WPF. There were some additional ones hired and then they ended up I think going into a different part of the uh, of the team. And unfortunately, like there wasn't an invest, you know, a big investment made at that time, but I think it was just cause it was the wrong approach. Like it was just kind of overhead at the, at the point at that time, you know, to go in and, and do those things. So whenever you have this type of approach, I think this is just far more sustainable. Yeah. So obviously we both work for Microsoft, but mm-hmm. we don't speak for Microsoft when it comes to this, but yeah. I mean, you can read the tea leaves pretty clearly on, on this one. Um, you know, WinForms is one of the, you know, biggest used uh, technologies when, um, you know, you see them release statistics on how Visual Studio is being used. Um, so you couple that with their investment in, in .NET Core, you can see that, um, you know, 
Microsoft is trying to support these technologies for a very, very long time. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're just outsiders on this. We have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> but if you want to get mentioned on the show, uh, like uh, the .NET Core show uh, did, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com or comment on our website or Twitter. We really like those five-star iTunes reviews. Absolutely. Okay, let's jump in the news because we have some interesting news stories here. This one was uh, very... The biggest hy- one of the week. Yeah, this was the best, definitely the news story of the week. Apple bans distribution of Facebook's internal apps. And there actually was like a recent development, but I'll, I'll let you cover this. Yeah, so Facebook uh, has been... You know, you know, we talk about it as like one of those companies that they just can't suck up enough information about us. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to do that in any way, shape, or form. And they had this VPN app that allowed them to do that, that they were told by Apple that they had to shut down. So what they did is they kind of changed it up a little bit and re-released uh, a very similar app back out. Um, but uh, how they did that is they used their enterprise certificate to sign these apps and didn't push it out through the store. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Apple caught this recently, uh, they're like, hey, that violates the term of that, so we're going to disable your certificate. Mm-hmm. Well, this was the same certificate that their their bus system, their like restaurant ordering system, like all their internal apps <laughs> were also signed with this certificate. So for Well, and that's oh, what it's for, by the way. That's what the enterprise certificate is yeah. actually designed for. Yeah, so they had all the legitimate apps because this the certificate was canceled. Uh, the legitimate apps were taken down along with the one that violated. Yeah. Um, so recently, like you you had mentioned, uh, there was their their proper apps were allowed to run again. Um, so some of this was you know brought back up, and there's oh, a lot of people. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot just, of people were. were, talk- they, were yeah, I was going to ask where they they must have been issued a new cert, cert, enterprise certificate then. For their internal apps, I'm guessing. Yeah. I, I don't know exactly how that happened, okay. but they, I would assume it's something along those lines, like they got a new enterprise uh, certificate. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, as developers, like if you don't have the right to do something, you know, whoever you're getting those permissions from, uh, when they find out, they will revoke it. Yeah. And I, I did you cover this? Uh, so Google had the same thing happen to them. I think it was either today or I think it was today. Yeah, they had something similar. I don't know uh, why. Uh, no, it was it like exactly away. the same thing. <laughs> okay. Apple said, Excellent. hey, they were using an enterprise certificate to distribute, um, you know, applications to external users. And that's exactly like what it's not for. It is it is for internal enterprise applications and for testing. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, so. You, you follow Apple's rules. They have They have an incredible amount of power here. There's a lot of. Uh, different news stories that are talking about, you know, this is like a big concentration of power that Apple can do this. So, you know, I I don't know. I, I don't fault Apple for this, though. I mean, if you're breaking the rules, then they reserve the right to do this. I mean, I think it, there is a lot of power in one spot, but I don't know, like, uh, until they really start misusing it. And I guess we should be careful and don't allow that to happen. But um I don't know. I think we're, I think we're being a, a little paranoid. I mean, they, they just, they had good reason to do it in this case and it is what it is. Yep. Uh, okay. Next uh, story. Localized messaging is important. <laughs> yeah. I forgot to tell you not to look at this one <laughs> beforehand. This is hilarious. So especially when you're in the EU, there's a lot of uh, policies around like disclosing that you have cookies and uh, somebody has a, a page uh, 
entirely about their cookie policy. And you're like, well, how is that weird? Um, well, obviously, when they were uh, going through their localization, they just kind of did like a blind thing. So everywhere on this page, instead of cookie, uh, when you're in the UK, it says biscuit. So it says biscuit policy. <laughs> and it's so funny. I, I wish we saw more of this because at the bottom, it's like technical biscuit and biscuit serving aggregated. And then it's cut off. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, man, I would just love to keep reading it, you know, just replace with biscuit everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, um, you know, localization and internationalization are uh, complex uh, issues. Uh, yeah. They get way more complex than you initially think. I know uh, my first uh, time at going through this, I was more concerned about how do you technically, you know, do these word swappings. And it gets way more complicated than that because uh, if you have numbers in the middle, sometimes in some languages, numbers go on the other side of words than they do in a different language. And um, in in some uh, right-to-left languages, uh, there's... Uh, periods where you can have left to right text as well. So it gets really complicated really fast. Yeah. But I would say too, like anybody who's ever done like a search and replace all knows that it just never works. Right. Like <laughs> ever. You, 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 you do it. You're just like, Oh, well I have these three characters and I'm going to do this. And then you, you, you know, you apply that to the document and you start looking through it and you're like, Oh yeah, I didn't think of that. You know, I forgot that like the, the letter combination EA, you know, it appears everywhere in like every single word. So then you're like, okay, I'm going to do EA space. And then it's like, oh, well, there's like words like Shay or, you know, like whatever, you know, whatever you think is actually going to work is probably not going to work. And you realize that very quickly for, for any kind of search and replace. That's why most programs don't default to like replace all. And it's better to step through and just replace them one by one. But this is, this is just hilarious though biscuit policy we should just call it that now <laughs> does your website use biscuits we'll just we'll start asking people that um the norwegian consumer council has filed a complaint against google google is accused of using deceptive design and misleading information which results in users accept accepting to be constantly tracked and the biggest thing here is they're they're not just filing a complaint but they're actually saying that google is in uh, not no longer in compliance with the GDPR. Mm. So because this is a GDPR violation, this is something that a lot of us, I think, really have to pay attention to. So uh, without getting too involved, they said that there's five kind of things that uh, Google is doing especially wrong. Um, yeah. Deceptive click flow, um, hidden default settings, not making it easy to find uh, and change uh, what some of the settings are, misleading and unbalanced information, um, mm. you know, not being uh, absolutely clear about what you're actually opting into or out of, um, repeated nudging. If you turn your location off, mm. they keep saying, hey, we need location, we need location, and uh, bundling of services with lack of granular choices. So you can't just turn location off for one app if you turn it back on it just gives it to a flood of applications of google's yeah so so you know as you know this moves through i i'm sure uh the eu court somewhere uh we're definitely gonna hear more about this and it's gonna affect uh precedent of uh you know what you can and can't do and if this is part of the gdpr violation yeah, this really relates to like these dark patterns. I don't know if you've heard of these. Oh, yeah. Basically tricking users into, you know, doing whatever you want them to. I saw one today that was really terrible. So I, I, I had this email from 
Uh, you know, it was a real place. Let's just say like, what, what, if, if I get an email from like a place where it's like, okay, I know how I got on that list. In this case, it was an RV dealership in Washington. And, uh, I'm like, okay, well I'm going to, in, 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 you know, listeners can say I'm an idiot, but you know, I'm like, okay, it's semi reputable. So I'm going to trust that like the unsubscribe button works. If I get random spam, I'm like, no, never clicking that in a million years. But if it's like, you know, let's say it was like stack overflow or something. Like if they have an unsubscribe button, I mean, there's a lot of places that you can trust that it'll actually work. So this one was sort of in that gray area. It's like, okay, well they're an RV dealership. I'm going to go for it. Right. So I click on unsubscribe. I get to the next screen and um, I'm sure you've seen this where they basically, the fine print says like you've been unsubscribed and then they'll ask you for, for a reason. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever looked at that before and it'll have like submit, like they're really trying to coax you into submitting a reason, but this one, so that that's pretty normal, but this one was especially devious. The first reason. So basically if you clicked, it would say you are unsubscribed. And then it had a list of reasons with a submit button. The first reason was I actually don't want to unsubscribe. <laughs> so if you clicked unsubscribe and saw that you were in, so, and you didn't read that you were unsubscribed and then you just hit submit, you have now unsubscribed and resubscribed yourself. I mean, how yeah. that, how that's terrible. I mean, that was, that was, I, that was so slimy. I mean, whoever wrote that, I mean, they knew exactly what they were doing and I don't know. Like, do you really want to hold your users hostage? I guess, I guess a deceived user is better than no user. That must be the the logic, right? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, that, that one's obviously malicious. Yeah. But, you know, I think there's a lot of just trends in design uh, that are, are very frustrating for people. One that I find uh, extremely annoying, even though it's, I, I'm sure it's, has no ill intent whatsoever. You go to a website and you see like there's a giant colorful button for sign up. Yeah. But if you're already, if you're already have an account with them, you have to like hunt for the login page. Right. And to me, obviously, yes, you want to give new people, a, you know, an easy path in, but if I have a hard time, like relogging into your page, that's a, that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. But then it's going to be really hard to cancel too. Cause you're going to have to log in first. <laughs> Okay, next one. Uh, my favorite topic: self-driving cars will cruise to avoid paying to park. Oh, I, you know what? I actually find this like extremely clever, and you know, to a point, welcome. Yeah. Um, you know, both of us travel to you know large cities, and in many uh, metropolitan areas, it is very expensive to park. I mean, sometimes you're looking at uh, fifty, sixty, eighty dollars a day or a night uh, to park, uh, and sometimes even you know, like. $20 an hour for, you know, temp, you know, short-term parking. Mm-hmm. And to me, this is just ludicrous. I mean, it's supply and demand at its very core, but it's just almost unconscionable when at least I'm used to like free parking everywhere I go because I live in a fairly, <laughs> fairly rural area. Right. Um, but with autonomous cars, you know, they have the ability to navigate streets on their own. So instead of you having to pay for parking, they'll just slowly cruise around the area, probably taking a meandering path. So it's always within a couple minutes of you and then you won't have to pay. And the the beautiful thing about this too, is they said most of these vehicles that they, they cost like 50 cents an hour to be in this cruise mode for wear and tear on the vehicle, gas, yeah. electricity, whatever it takes to power them. And so it's going to be really tough to find a way to force these cars to park. And in the meantime, they'll be adding to traffic. So if you're already in a crowded downtown area, you're going to have tons of more people bringing in their autonomous vehicles and letting them just 
run amok in the streets. <laughs> Which is funny because the self-driving cars would be like, yes, traffic. This is the best case scenario, right? Because it wants to go slow. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't want to go at all. Yeah. Right? Like the whole thing was to avoid sitting in point A to, to, to actually, you know, and actually have to pay. So, wow, you get a prize. You get to sit on the road. For free. <laughs> like, how devious is that? You're right. This is going to be a huge problem. And I mean, there's, you're, you're right, though. It's like, this is like a big pet peeve of mine is just like not having a place to park. And I, I realize like it's not necessarily the business's fault, but it's just, it's incre- incredibly infuriating. And probably maybe people outside the country, you know, the US maybe won't understand this or uh, in certain areas because obviously the parking situation and like the road and car situation is totally different everywhere. Um, like you said, I mean, we're, we're in an area, I mean, it was just minus 60 here with a wind chill, right? And, um, like public transportation is just, it's literally not an option that it just doesn't exist. Like you, you have to have a car. We have to go different places and most of our parking is good here. And if I want to go into a big city, like we have to deal with this there, but it, it's a, such a pet peeve of mine. Cause these, these businesses, you know, it's like, Hey, please come on in. And I'm like, I literally can't get to your place of business because I have a car that I have to put somewhere. And, um, yeah, when I lived by Seattle, it was really tough. Like I'd park in a mall parking lot. I'd take an Uber in. Um, which was incredibly inefficient, you know, like, I don't even know if that was like really a better situation. Um, so I don't know this is, this is like a horrible solution. And then I think we covered it on the show before, right? Where the, the guy, he used the, the Tesla, um, he had it in like a one hour parking or something. And every hour he'd have it like move forward and then move back. <laughs> um, which is, I, I don't know, a super douchey move, man. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> this is really just making it worse for everybody else. But but is is it douchey or is it you know you know, like responding to the frustration of you know the lack of parking and good options? I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> I, it just the, the whole situation just sucks overall. Well, and, and the thing is, it's it's not just in the U.S. too because I just spent some time in Europe, and you know what's really funny is like over there, like there's just so little land, and like the cities were optimized for conditions of hundreds of years ago before right. vehicles. So you'd see like, especially uh, when there's a rush at the beginning and ending of days, you know, the streets are just packed for, Mm -hmm. for a long time. And, uh, if they have, you know, similar situations or worse because of the layouts of their cities that they can't change, something like this is going to be even, uh, uh, you know, affect them even more. Yeah. I do like the idea. I've heard of some city. I don't know how, you know, how much is actually happening. I do like the idea and I'm I'm sure there's like a whole bunch of caveats with this, but I do like the idea of these cities that basically said, Hey, we're not going to allow cars, right? That's like basically shut down. I think if you paired that with like, Hey, on every side of our city, outside of our city, we're going to have amazing free parking. You park your car there and then we're going to have this, you know, uh, first class transportation system. And by the way, when you're in the city, like we have plentiful places to walk, we have, you know, uh, you know, e-bikes, we have electric skateboards or scooters or whatever. Um, and then you have all the appropriate lanes for that. I think that's great. I mean, I think it's particularly challenging if you have a family and it is cold. I mean, like try doing that in Chicago, that would be pretty terrible, but overall that concept I, I think is intriguing to me and solving it that way. That basically all or nothing approach. Get everybody out. So should we move on or any other comments? Yep. Yeah, let's move on. Okay. Uh, modern weather forecasts are stunningly accurate. That can't be, Carl. I just saw yesterday it was off by two degrees. <laughs> so what are you talking about? So, you know, weather has kind of like always been a joke. Like, you know, it, it's rarely right. Um, you know, 
especially if you get to a, a long-term forecast, how can that be? Yeah. But, you know, like a lot of different areas in our lives, if we don't kind of get up to speed with what the latest in the technology of that is, you know, we, we hang on to some old stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the things that caught me in this article was looking at the recent cold snap that me and you are still experiencing. Uh, so first of all, it says a month ago, meteorologists knew that there's going to be a cold spell here and uh, that it actually happened when they anticipated that it was yeah. going to happen. But they're saying that like uh, a, a five-day forecast, a modern one, is as accurate as a one-day forecast was in 1980, so going wow. back 40 years ago. And useful forecasts can be uh, reach out nine to ten days to the future, mm-hmm. um, which, which it, when you think about it, is pretty amazing uh, when you look at what there was 40 years ago and to today. I mean, if you saw the nightly forecast for tomorrow, you could be like, eh, it'll be kind of right. But now, um, within 48 hours, they're mostly dead on. Yeah, I agree. And like the, the temperature predictions, I mean, it was like days ahead of time. They're like, it's going to reach these temperatures. And it did exactly that. Um, so it's incredibly accurate. But it, the the thing that I thought was most interesting out of this article, um, what was the name? There was a name of the bias that they were talking about. Um, what was it called? Maybe uh, let me just search the article. I thought it was in here. I thought it, I thought they used there was some kind of bias. Um was I looking at a to- did you have a totally different article in here originally, Carl? Nope. Um well anyway, I can describe it. I thought they had it in here. Uh but basically, you know, it, what ends up happening, it's it's one of these situations where the one time that they are wrong or you know, like they they're all it, this also depends on where you live. You know, when I was in Seattle, you could pick whatever weather you wanted. If you if you if you weren't, if it was sunny and you weren't happy with it, you could drive 10 minutes and it would be raining. Like it was so patchy that like the, the forecast was impossible. I, I remember we, we were watching the forecast the one day and the guy, he, the guy was just hilarious. Cause he's like, Oh, it's going to be nice today, but it might rain. He's like, who knows? It's Seattle. <laughs> you know, he's just like, he's like, we can't tell what's going to happen because everything's going to happen. Um, so obviously it depends on your area, but here in the Midwest, like they are incredibly accurate and sure that one time that they're wrong, um, you know, that, in your mind outweighs the 10 times that they are right. And that's the problem. And we're just kind of flawed uh, humans at that standpoint and in, in how we, we sort of see things, but I think it's pretty cool. I mean, I, I, my favorite kind of science is predictive science, right? Where, you know, it's like they, they say something, they're like, this is what's going to happen. And then it happens. And it's like, Hey, that was, that was pretty awesome. Keep but on it, doing it. <laughs> I think this is especially interesting because in, in most cultures across the world, like weather is, is huge. Like if you, if you meet a stranger and you don't know what to say, you talk about the weather. Yeah. Uh, in, in certain cultures, it's, you know, all you do is complain about the weather. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a, a stat in here that in 2009, so this is a 10 year old stat that said us adults check the weather forecast 300 billion times a year. And, each? I, I, each. Well, no. <laughs> I but, got you. But, let, let, let's look at, like, modern day. I have three weather applications on my phone. Yeah. Outlook itself also tells me what the weather is. It's built into the iPhone yeah. to, to tell you what the weather is. Like, you know, there's so many things. Like, it doesn't matter if they have a different function. They're like, we better tell people what the weather is. Yep. And, and, and it's important, especially here, because you know, we were at minus 60 with a wind chill. We're going to be in the forties on Monday and we're recording this on Friday. And right now, like, have, have you been outside today, Carl? 
Uh, no, I have not. It is freaking warm out. It's uh, every, some people are going to be listening. I was thinking we're crazy. It's so about it's, 10. It's 19 degrees by me. And I was out, I was outside in my sweatshirt. Like, Whoa, this is, I mean, it, until you felt a cold, like you have never felt before, um, you know, 20 degrees starts to feel warm. So 40 is going to be a hundred. I, I believe it. I believe in our uh, private chat the other day, you mentioned that you, you got the mail and inside the house, it was still hurting your hands. Yeah. The mail, which is paper, like how much thermal energy can paper hold? And it was like the, yeah, the, the mail was holding my, or was, was holding my hands. It was, uh, hurting my hands. Um, and then I, you know, I was pouring water on things. Like it was just so fun, like just experimenting with things. So, um, that was, that was fun for some science experiments. Um, okay. So let's move on to our main event here. So the, one of the, they're the, really the big thing that we wanted to talk about that I didn't really even know existed, you know, too much. Um, I actually have a, a friend that, that did some of this to his car, but I didn't really know this existed, which is basically like, I don't want to say hacking your car, but it is sort of hacking your car, um, in ways that it was meant to be hacked. Like there are, there are things that dealerships can do to your car to change settings. And it turns out for technically minded people like our listeners, um, you might be able to make some of these modifications yourself. And I, I want to make it clear, like this isn't, um, there's this whole other class of sort of hacking your car, which is, uh, tuning your car, uh, which I think is interesting in and of itself, but that's really not what we're talking about. That's really changing the engine parameters to increase boost and get more power out of it. Um, so this is, this is a little bit more benign and it's more about how the vehicle actually works. Yeah, so in particular, what's what's nice about Jason and I is we have very similar vehicles. Mm-hmm. So when uh, Jason found out about this, he he told me, and I think I jumped on it a little bit uh, harder. Than yeah, you were pretty excited. Uh, but but what there is is there's a tool out there called Forescan, and uh, this is a, a piece of software that it can work with a bunch of different car types, so Ford, Mazda, Lincoln, and Mercury models from 1996 and and newer are all supported. And even though uh, we're going to be talking about this particular tool, uh, there's other tools for other brands as well. Yep. So if you don't have those, um, you know, go look up uh, what the equivalent software would be for those. Exactly. Um, so what this tool does is uh, you need to interface uh, the software with your vehicle. So in, in our case, we needed to buy an OBD2 uh, interface, which... Uh, I got a Bluetooth one, so I could just Bluetooth connect my computer to that, and then uh, my software discovered the Bluetooth interface, and then I could uh, start talking mm-hmm. uh, to the vehicle. Uh, what's cool is you can kind of suck in all of the settings of your vehicle as they are, and Forescan l- looks at those settings, and there's a spreadsheet that tells you, hey, if there's different features you want to enable or different settings you want to modify, uh, you can do that. So it it's really just kind of like uh, kind of pointers in memory where you're just changing the values to get a different result. Uh, a lot of us have software where we have like feature flags where we can turn portions of the software on and off. And, uh, you know, to some degree, it's the same thing as something like that. Well, I, I actually, I think there might be, you know, I, I'm definitely not an expert in this, but I, I actually think I want to make a little bit of a distinction there because I, I think the way that it actually works, there's, there's the actual, programming in the the chips in your vehicle that are control you know like your radio has has one and then there's one that's like controlling the things that show up in your dash and things like that um but there's there's the actual code for that and then like you said 
you were correct. And I think there's like memory addresses and stuff, but it, it seems to me like there, there's basically like a configurable section of that, which is what makes this easy. Like you luckily people aren't just randomly poking at at just like random things in their vehicle and like messing with it. Like these are things in many cases that were meant to be changed. And I think one of the, one of the best examples of it is like the startup screen, you know, so I have, uh, and both of us have this, there's a little startup screen. I think yours has this as well, right? On the LCD yep. screen. So whenever you start your vehicle, like we get like a built Ford tough, like logo that, that shows up like a cool little animation. And my Mustang had a different logo. Um, and then also there's like a Lincoln version, you know, of our trucks and I, there's like four or five different variants. You can literally just change a number in there and say, you know, instead of uh, splash screen number one, I want splash screen number two. And all of a sudden I can turn on my truck and I get the Mustang uh, little video that plays because that video is already present in the software. All the code is identical. It's like you said, I think the best analogy is a feature flag. Yep. So, you know, you know, I think as we talk about like changing these parameters, there's definitely some things, some tips you want to do is you definitely want to back up your original settings because mm-hmm. If you hose it, you want to get back to your original spot. And if you don't have a copy of what that is, you, you'll never know on how to get it back. Yeah. Um, and also back up your changes. If you get your vehicle customized to a certain area, you know, make a copy of that, put it in the cloud somewhere. So you can always get back to it if you later on, uh, you know, make a mistake and uh, undo something you really liked. I didn't think of that. I should have done that. <laughs> so I'm going to do that. I did not do that. I did back up my original settings because I know some people are really paranoid about making these modifications and then taking it into the dealership. You can actually back up your settings. And then what you can do when you take it to the dealership, you can restore the original settings. And then when you pick it up, you can, you know, like you said, if you back up your changes, you can apply those again. And it's just some uh, like files that you just store to your computer. That's basically a backup, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I, w- I, w- I also wanted to mention too, is even though we have similar vehicles, uh, th- they are different. So we have different options available to what we can modify. Mm-hmm. So I have, uh, an F two fifty truck. Uh, it's the XLT package. So it's one of the lower packages and it's a gas vehicle. You have an F three fifty Lariat, which is the, like the package up. That's mm-hmm. a diesel. Uh, so like some of the differences between us is even though I have like a, an LED screen in front of me, I also have some physical gauges, whereas those gauges on yours are part of a bigger LED screen. Right. And because of that, you can do stuff like uh, you can put the, the numbers representing the values of those gauges. So it's, instead of seeing that it's like a little bit beyond half of the heat temperature, you know, it, it'll tell you it's like 210 degrees Fahrenheit. Yep. And, and stuff like that, which is and awesome, he, by the way, like I'm, you know, we're both like data people, right? Like we, we want the data. We don't want this little, like a, a gauge is like, you know, I'd rather see the number, like what is your actual temperature? And even when it was really cold here, I found that to be incredibly useful. Yeah. Like, uh, especially like we use these trucks for towing mm-hmm. and towing can really have an effect on your transmission temperature. You know, I, I don't want to have to remember, is it just like a little bit above half that it's normally at, but it's hard to remember that, but I can remember, hey, it's normally 203 degrees Fahrenheit when it's up and running. Yeah. I can remember that. Yep. And mine, um, it actually, it's kind of interesting because from the, from the factory, what it does is whenever, whenever the, whenever it does get in those upper temperatures, not really not in the red, but really I would call it like a sort of a yellow state, like, hey, your stuff is kind of running a little hot. At that point, uh, the numbers from the factory, they actually do pop up on the screen. But I'm kind of curious, you know, like, 
like when it was super cold, I was actually, I went out when it was like minus 60 with a wind chill. I was driving on the highway against the wind and it was kind of interesting being able to watch those numbers. And I always wondered like, what was like the normal winter operating temperature? Turns out it's about 190 degrees is what uh, Fahrenheit is what it tends to run at. And then whenever you're, whenever I was going up a mountain, pulling my fifth wheel trailer and uh, in a, in a high gear and the transmission started running a little hot, it would get up to about 230 degrees. Um, and I don't know what the, the transmission temperature was, but now, now I can actually see that. So that'll be interesting next time that happens. Raygun provides full stack error, crash, and performance monitoring for tech teams. Whether you're a software engineer looking to diagnose and resolve issues with greater speed and accuracy, a product manager drowning in bug reports, or you're just concerned you're losing customers to poor quality online experiences, Raygun can provide you with the answers. Get full stack error and performance monitoring in one place. The next time you're struggling to replicate errors and performance issues in your code base, think Raygun. Head over to raygun.com. Get up and running within minutes and dramatically improve the online experiences of your users. So I think one of the things that I also wanted to bring up is some of these settings you can change without any software whatsoever. So, for example, one of the things that you have on there is uh, disable seatbelt chimes. Yeah. And that's something you just went in through the software. You made the change that uh, you were told to make, and then it was uh, okay. Well, I remember I had an older Escort, and I could actually make that change without hooking it up, even though it had OBD2. Mm-hmm. You had to do something like open and close the door a certain amount of times, like buckle and unbuckle the seatbelt. And if you like did this dance with all the different controls, you could actually do you know, some of these settings. Yeah, it is so, the same in these trucks, by the way. So yeah. you literally, I think it is something with the, do with like buckling and unbuckling the seatbelt. Um, and then and you, I remember the, like on some of them, it's like do the parking brake, you know, yeah. you know. Yeah, what's frustrating about that is that you have to keep like turning on and off the vehicle, which, you know, it's not like, it's not like it's not designed for it, but it always feels really weird. Cause every, when I hit the power button, like on my truck, like not even starting it, like there's a whole bunch of massive pumps and clicking sounds. And I mean, like a lot of stuff is like running through the paces there. And to sit there and like as the stereo is booting up, like shut it down and then boot it again and shut it down. Um, I don't want to say it seems cruel, but it just seems like that's not the best thing for, for components yeah. if you can avoid it. And, and, you know, my point there is there's an analog way to do this as well for some yeah. of these, not everything. Yep. But, uh, you know, it just goes to show is that these are, aren't things that were people happen to, quote, find out about and hack. Yeah. And, you know, kind of not using it as a bad term. Like, these are supposed to be customizable because otherwise, you know, the car makers wouldn't, uh, you know, do those analog equivalents. Okay. So let's talk about the changes we made. Should I go first? Do you want to go first? Let me go first because I go have ahead. less than okay. what you do. Uh, so the first is uh, normally when you turn the high beams on uh, and you already have your fog lights on, uh, it'll disable your fog lights. And if you lo- if you kind of look at the differences between you know, fog lights and bright lights is fog lights kind of illuminate very close to the vehicle and and spread out fairly widely whereas bright lights switch on very narrow and get as far as possible with their focus and there's a hack on here i shouldn't say hack but there's a a modification you can do so the fog lights stay on and they actually call it bambi mode because a lot of people like it uh for detecting deer Mm -hmm. and since i live in an area that has a lot of deer i actually find it really useful to have that light that spreads out wide as well as the bright light that uh goes out so that's the the first one that i i enabled 
Um, there's also a double horn honk disable, and this is really annoying. It's <laughs> another one that most people dis- disable right away. This is the right number one reason why people do this. Because a lot of people don't like their vehicles making a lot of noises. Um, so I, I turned that one off as well. Well, I- explain um, this one, because I, but, but I don't think other people have to deal with this. But if you've ever been to a campground, you hear everybody's car doing this. Actually, you explain it because you you do it better than I do. Okay. So basically, if you start your vehicle and you get out of the vehicle with your... Oh, see, you can't... um, I don't know how you do it with yours. Maybe that's why... Maybe you don't even have this issue. So with mine, I have the proximity key. So I start my vehicle... And then I'll click, I'll keep it like, you know, clipped or I'll keep it in a pocket, the keys you get out. And when you close the door, basically it, it wants you to, um, it wants to warn you that, Hey, like you left your vehicle running and the keys aren't even in it. So when you close the door, it honks twice. So it's bam, bam, and the horn, I mean, it's a pretty loud horn on these trucks. And, and the problem is like, Oh, I forgot something. So you open the door, you close it and it honks again. And it's the driver's side and the passenger side, you know? So like you might be, um, I don't know, like at a campground or something. And like the, the kids keep trying to get something. And every time they close the door, like you keep honking your horn at people, which is uh, really frustrating for everybody else. So that's the, that's the double horn honk. I, I'm not sure how to do it on yours. There's something similar and it. it's with leaving yeah. the doors open. Yeah. But, uh, um, another one that I did is, um, being able to enter the, uh, navigation destination and view text while the vehicle is motion in motion. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise you could, when you go to those screens, it puts up this like huge prompt, like, you know, it's unsafe to do this while driving. Please confirm that you're the passenger. And, you know, when my wife's there, you know, I just want her to, or another passenger, I just want somebody to be able to go in there and do that. You shouldn't have, yeah. you know, it's annoying giving these prompts over and over again. So you can just disable that. Yep. Um, and, uh, the last one that I want to bring up is one that I haven't done yet because I recently bought my vehicle. I have a, a temporary subscription to Sirius uh, Satellite Music, and as soon as that uh, expires, I don't even want to see that feature on the screen. So I'm gonna. You can actually remove that so you don't see the Sirius uh, option at all. Yep. So then all I'll be able to see is AM, FM, and uh, my phone. Yep. Cool. Okay. So I'll go through mine. So yeah, I, I did the fog light thing as well. That one I think is kind of silly. I don't know if that one is, is, you know, some bizarre law. I know we talked about that at that conference. We had somebody talking about some of the laws around, you can't have a certain number of lights turned on on your vehicle. Um, I, yeah, I actually looked into it a little bit more. It's, it is with the amount of lumens that are projected at once. <laughs> That's hilarious because they're not even pointed the same direction. Like I see vehicles, I see trucks like this all the time where they have the fog lights on, the headlights on and the high beam or not the high beams, but um, they have those on and it's perfectly fine. The bigger issue with these vehicles is having your, uh, your high or your, your headlights adjusted in the right way so that they're not intentionally blinding people. Um, usually when those are in your eyes, they're just, they're misadjusted or they happen to be going up a hill or something like that. So, I mean, this really should not be an issue. And it's to me, the, the safety, uh, for the, for you and the passengers outweighs, um, some extra lumens going into the air. Um, so yeah, I did the double honk disable the temps on gauges. Like I said, is, is incredibly useful. Um, that also told me that, you know, like my, the temperature in my garage, like if it's zero degrees, like the temp, the, the gauges will say zero. If I plug in my engine block heater into the garage, which is something that is very helpful for diesel, um, at least in the cold, it keeps it at about a hundred degrees, the engine. 
um, which is pretty nice because it thinks it's a hundred degrees outside and it starts right up and it runs really well. Um, you know, when it's really, really cold, um, I did remove Sirius. I just don't want to see that. There is also the ability to remove the CD player option. Uh, but I do have a CD player. I don't ever intend on using it. So, but I'm okay with having that one because if I remove it's at it, least there. if I remove it, somebody will get into my truck and be like, Hey, I got you this CD with this amazing thing that you have to hear. So that's how that goes. I don't even know if my CD player works. Um, yeah, I disabled all the seatbelt chimes and again, like I always wear my seatbelt. My wife always wears a seatbelt. This is, this is again for like campgrounds or, or situations like that. Or even you pull into your driveway and like my wife would take off her seatbelt or something. You know, it's always, it's really like these edge cases. Well, um, I always we don't do, need a reminder. I always start my vehicle and then buckle up. And yeah. in the meantime, it's beeping at me. Yeah. So, I mean, I just don't need that. Like I, we, we already are perfect about that. The, this is not going to, the reminder is not going to remind us like we don't forget. So it's not, it's a non-issue. Um, and then, you know, we talked about the, uh, the double horn honk thing. There's actually another setting that I changed that uh, goes in hand in hand with that because you'd say, oh, well, they're doing that so that, you know, somebody else, uh, so you won't, you know, walk away from your vehicle and then, you know, you forget that it's on and somebody could steal your vehicle. That is true. Unless you enable secure idle, which is also known as police mode. So, uh, what this setting does is make it so that if the key is not in there, you can't take it out of park. So if I, I could, I could take my car or my truck and I could park it at a gas station with the engine running, I could get out and I could even leave the door open. And if some random person comes over and tries to steal my vehicle and they don't have my key, um, even though it's running, they can't take it. And I didn't even realize that. I mean, they call it police mode. So I assume uh, police cars are the same way. You know, I always see the police cars idling and it's like, oh man, that'd be tempting to just like move it around the block or something. Right. <laughs> I mean, of course I would never do that, but you know, I just in my head, I'm always, you know, playing through that scenario. Um, you know, I'm, I'm guessing they basically use the same mode. So you can't, you know, you, it looks like you can do that, but you can't. Uh, so that's a great one. And then the other one, which will only make sense to like less than 1% of our listeners. I added, um, uh, there's a option to show a DPF filter percentage to uh, one of the truck screens. So uh, modern diesel engines have this diesel particulate filter and the way it works, it's, it's like not a thing that you have to replace or anything. It basically catches soot. And then uh, what it ends up doing is whenever that filter gets full, it's automatically managed by the vehicle. It, uh, it, it basically puts tons of uh, exhaust temperature out, uh, out of the exhaust or out through that filter and uh, it essentially burns it off, which I I don't know like where that goes or whatever, but you'll get out of your vehicle and it'll smell like burnt plastic or the vehicle will kind of run funny. Um, and I just always thought it was frustrating because I could never tell if that was happening. I'm like, I think it was just doing that. But now I can see the percentage of the filter. So I can see when uh, one of those regens is going to happen. If I, if I see it getting close to 100%, uh, or if I see the percentage dropping, I can see that it's currently in a uh, regen. Um, and the other thing, Carl, you might find this interesting. I don't know if I had mentioned this to you. Um, oh, I guess you, w- you wouldn't have this on your, sorry. But on the on diesel trucks, I don't know if you ever noticed, not only is exhaust gigantic, but they have slots on them. Yep. Have you ever seen that? Yep. And uh, that's so that air, that's so that cool air goes in there and cools the exhaust because the otherwise the air that comes out is incredibly hot and can melt things around it. <laughs> just a, just a fun fact for you. I always wondered what those were for. So those were the setting changes that I made. Um, we didn't talk about the adapter, like how much it costs. I think yours was like $20. Yeah, it was like 
eighteen dollars uh, because yeah. I got I got so he, here's here's the funny thing. So anybody who knows Jason knows that he re- researches things like <laughs> extremely thoroughly, Too and much. when I say that, I mean like beyond thoroughly. Mm-hmm. And you know, to a certain degree, I'm like that too. But I've gotten used to taking Jason's uh, recommendations uh, because I've researched them after him and found out, yeah, that is right. Yeah, or the one that I would pick as well. So. I asked him for a recommendation on this, and he happened at this one time to not like. Like he I just was, found I was one. Ha- I was halfway through my research. You found one at random and just gave it to me, and I bought it without and, realizing and that there was a reason th- why I hadn't purchased it yet. <laughs> yeah, this one only will only you only have access to a certain uh, portion of kind of the bus underneath where that has. It reaches out and finds all the files for you to make all these uh, adjustments to the different chips. But, yeah, but it doesn't. Uh, it can't access all of them. Mm-hmm. So I actually can't with the one that I bought uh, access all of the changes that I actually want to make. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wait until I can borrow yours, Jason, and then uh, not spend uh, as I think much. It was as either you did. sixty or eighty dollars for the one that I got, and yeah, it lets me change everything. So. You know, the thing is, like, you can let people use these things. Um, Like, you know, like you said, you can borrow mine uh, or uh, you can just come over and, you know, we can make the changes that way. Um, A couple other things I want to mention on that little Bluetooth adapter. Um, So, you know, it hooks up to your OBD2 port, which is always like kind of below your steering wheel. Like this is in your car. It's mandated. And uh, so it just it just plugs into that thing. You can. uh, Do you leave yours plugged in, Carl? Uh, No, uh, but I was thinking about getting. an Android device okay. uh, that did communicate with it. And yeah. I think we'll talk about that next. Yeah. So, so you can, you can leave these things plugged in. Um, it does uh, continue. I believe it continually gets power because there is a pin in that OBD2 connector that gives you a constant 12 volt connection. So that thing will stay on. So people are worried about that draining their battery, but the device itself um, you know, basically, uh, knows when to turn itself off. I don't know if it waits for a low voltage situation or not. So I'm a little paranoid about just leaving it plugged in, but I know, um, I've read about dozens of people that just leave it plugged in and they've, they've really had no adverse effects. I'd probably unplug it if I was going to airport parking lot for a week, just to be like super careful. Uh, but you can just leave this thing plugged in and it's really no big deal. And then, yeah, we should talk about the, uh, the Android app. Um, because there are a lot of people that either put uh, a phone uh, or they just buy like a super inexpensive tablet and they put that in their vehicle. And there's an app, it's called Torque Pro. Um, there's a lot of different apps that you can get, but this is the one that's, I think, the most uh, comprehensive. Um, it basically lets you make custom dashboards with whatever parameters you want. So this could be like uh, air intake flow, for example. And it could be air intake temperature. You can also have like another gas gauge and it can actually give you the percentage, you know, it can say 87.2%. Um, so it can be incredibly precise for that kind of thing. Not necessarily accurate, but at least it's precise. But you can see, you know, tons of parameters that come r- straight off of the, uh, off the engine, like in real time as you're, as you're driving. Um, the other thing you can do with the app, uh, it does things like you can do like zero to 60 times. And since it has access to your speedometer, you can, you can basically turn it on and then, and then it'll, it'll tell whenever you start moving. Uh, plus it can use the phone accelerometers to like say, here's how many G's you were pulling. Here was your acceleration curve. Um, I mean, it's just really cool. All the things that you can do with it. I mean, if you were, you know, as a, as a developer, if you sort of pictured all the things that you'd want to do with the data coming off your car, uh, this is the app that lets you do a lot of those things. 
Any other comments on that Torque Pro, or I guess you haven't used it, Carl? No, I haven't used it, but uh, my brother-in-law had a very similar application in his truck Mm -hmm. where he just had, I think, an Amazon Fire tablet always on and showing him the kind of stats that you normally didn't have access to, but being able to see them in real time. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I haven't figured out like how to mount something. I don't know what size I want. Um, I think it would be kind of cool. It's also something that's not, not necessary. I am a little worried about somebody looking in your window and be like, Ooh, there's a tablet in there, even if it is a $35 tablet. So I don't know. It's something, not something I really need to do. Um, I, I already got that DPF percentage there. Um, and a lot in the temperatures and all that. So I actually think that I'm pretty good, but, um, you know, other people might be a little bit more nerdy and want to just see all those parameters coming off the engine. So I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. And we'll also have a link in the show notes to the uh, spreadsheet for the uh, super duties like uh, Jason and I have. There is actually a lot of things that we didn't mention, like as crazy as like when you just tap lightly on the blinker, you can have it adjust how many times that it blinks left or right before it stops. Yep. So like, There's almost like, you know, what can't you modify on here? Yeah, I'm just seeing if there's anything else that's kind of interesting in here. Oh, change fuel tank size. So if you do put it on a different size fuel tank, like you can adjust that. There's also adjustments for different size tires, uh, which would be kind of common. Um, Some of the auto fold and unfold of the mirrors. Um, Oh, the timeout for for the outlets in the the vehicle. Uh, Battery monitoring systems. Uh, Let's see here. Massage sheet, massage seats. I wish you could turn that on through software, but you know, the <laughs> hardware doesn't exist. So that's not although, although they're in the uh, lower packages, you can add the climate screens that are in the higher packages uh, mm-hmm. to the display. Oh, there's actually one too. Uh, you have the FX4 package, right, Carl? Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there, it's funny because there's a, one of the features that you can get on these trucks is the uh, hill descent control. Uh, that is literally just a software thing. Uh, but there's a physical button that turns it on. You can just buy the button. I, I don't think it's very expensive at all. And then no. you just turn this on in software. Yeah, it's several hundred dollars to add it like from the manufacturer right. or it's like a $20 button and you get the software. Exactly. And then there's also things you can do with this as well that I guess we didn't mention, which is um, if you add like power running boards, like if you make, if you actually take like, you know, if there's a, a an option that you um, wanted that you didn't buy when you bought the truck, you can actually buy that option and then go in there and basically enable it through through Forescan, which is uh, which is pretty cool. Um, so go out there and hack your truck. I'd I'd, lo- I'd love to hear from our listeners on this. Like I I know, like I have a friend that I know has done a lot of this stuff in his vehicle. Um, so I'm sure we have a lot of listeners that have have looked at this, have you know basically hack their vehicles and, 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 you know, change some settings in there. So I'd love to hear from people. This would be some, a really amazing feedback to hear like what you've done or basically like modifications you made in your car, like, you know, swapping out the the head unit for like, like something that has car play. Or, um, I see a lot of options too, where you can replace like your whole center console, uh, with uh, like an iPad or something like that. I'd love to hear about some people who did that and kind of what the, what the net effect of that was. So definitely email us at uh, feedback at msdevshow.com. Okay. Did we want to talk home theater stuff, Carl? Yeah. Okay. I think this will be a pretty quick segment, but you know, we're, we're on the topic of like, you know, cool, like, you know, um, cool, cool tech that, uh, that we have. So, um, I think we're going to talk about two main things here. One is just kind of my home theater setup. And then I know you were going to talk about, um, a speaker setup that you have. Um, I ended up getting, and I, I just, I cannot 
praise this thing enough. I ended up getting one of these LG OLED TVs. And I might've mentioned that on the podcast before, but, um, I don't even know how to convey how mind blowingly good this TV is. Um, we have a relatively new TV in our living room and, uh, it's a, it's a TCL, which, you know, aren't the most expensive TVs in the world, but they're, they're also like, I would say like, um, you know, average or maybe above average quality and they have, have built in Roku, but this LG makes every other TV in existence look like absolute garbage. Um, and every time I watch it, I just, I go, wow. Cause the, the, uh, the color reproduction and I'm, I'm, you know, colorblind and I can still like the, the reds and the yellows and everything. It just, it's amazing how it pops on this thing. Um, and then also the contrast and we'll include a, a link to a, a demo video that I always play on mine. And obviously on your screen, it's not going to have the same effect, but, uh, I always play this demo video. And basically when, when this TV displays black, the pixel is off. That's the way OLED works. I mean, there, there is, it is no power being consumed and it is off. So if I'm displaying a black screen on this in my basement and there's no windows, um, the room is pitch black. And then if it has, you know, like one word in the middle of the screen, um, it's basically an infinite difference in contrast because it'll be something super bright right next to that pure black. Um, and then I have, um, um, Klipsch speakers, which are basically used in, uh, over 60% of or over 50%, I think of the movie theaters in the U S. So I have that movie theater sound, um, which is, which is super awesome. And you've, you've been able to, I don't know what we watch, Carl, um, or did I just give you a demo? No, I, you're confusing me with somebody else. I have not seen your new TV. Oh, I wasn't sure if you had it. Okay. So you haven't seen it yet, huh? No. And you got to come down sometime. I mean, it is mind blowing. The only problem is it makes everything else look terrible. So like you just get one shot at it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then you're ruined. Um, yeah. So you have to come over and check it out sometime, but man, I, you know, I just, one of the reasons I want to talk about this stuff is like, you know, I'm just really an enthusiast of, uh, you know, like watching movies. I haven't really gotten into like this new sound where you have the sound that like bounces off the ceiling and comes Uh, what is that called? Um, what do they call that vertical sound now? Dolby. Um, I can't remember the name of it. Dolby Atmos is what it's called. Um, I haven't gotten into that. Like, I, I think that, I think that sound at a certain point is, well, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't say it. It seems, I think there's like sort of diminishing returns on, uh, on sound. Um, I think a good three speaker setup is gets you like 95% of the way there. If I, if I, if I was given a budget for speakers, I'd spend probably 90% of my budget on that. And then I'd spend the rest on, you know, like surround speakers and, and filling in the rest of the areas. Um, because your, you know, your ears are designed to get that sound that's uh, from the front. And like, I've turned off, uh, my rear speakers before. And actually in my new house, I don't have the rear speakers in yet. I bought the in-wall speakers. I just haven't installed them yet. And, uh, you know, like, I don't feel like I'm missing a whole lot. Um, it will be nice when those are, those are in though, but I just, I like having good sound, uh, good picture. And I feel like we're at, um, you know, I think the, the whole TV industry sort of goes through these plateaus where like, you know, this, I remember when plasma came out, it was super expensive, but that technology was amazing. And then LCD, uh, with led backlights, you know, got really popular and we sort of hit that next plateau. Now we're on OLED and I, I think we're safely in that plateau. So if you can afford something like this, like, I think it's an investment that you can make. And, and I expect this TV to be, um, you know, to be able to keep up as far as picture quality for the next, I'll say five years. Um, I know that's a bold statement with like TV technology, but I, I expect it to stay relevant for, let's say the next five years. 
And you'll probably still use it well beyond that as well. So yeah, it's still going to be excellent. Probably. Investment. Yeah. And then I would say, I mean, the other thing I would say, I know one of the, the things that you want to talk about is like things that you can spend your money on that, that, that are sort of a timeless investment. And for me, like I bought the really high end reference series clip speakers and I bought them, you know, I bought them a long time ago and I know they have newer models out and all that, but you know what? They still sound as good as the day I bought them, probably better than the day I bought them because they're broken in. Um, but you know, it's something that's just timeless. Like that's the kind of thing that you want to spend a lot of money on TVs come and go and your audio, um, you know, stays around. So just, just invest in some like really good front speakers, center channel and, um, and, and, and enjoy. And if anybody wants to hear it, come on over to my house and check it out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Don't do that. (laughs) Okay. And so what were you going to talk about as far as audio, Carl? So you know, once again, you know, I, I appreciate the high-end audio and having things just being, you know, awesome around you. Mm-hmm. And for uh, a while, I've I've never really had really good uh, computer speakers. Um, I had asked for some for my wife for Christmas a few years ago, and she just kind of got me. Um, they were they were plenty decent. They're, they're just some small computer speakers that you put on my desk, and uh, they always kind of had like a little hiss when they were quiet, and it was. Even though they look nice and they did acceptably well, that was kind of annoying. Uh, but one of the things I had done is we were kind of doing some decluttering around the house, and the previous owners had these like five-one uh, system installed in our living room that I immediately like took off the walls because we didn't have the gear for it, and I put in the basement and forgotten until five years later. <laughs> well, I was looking at these, and I kind of did like a little Google search on the model, and this was like the entertainment speaker to get in 2003 and looking around a bit there's a bunch of people still like trying to find these because they were decent enough quality for a low enough price and uh like these these speakers um are like two and a half pounds each so i mean they're solid they've got a lot a lot to drive that sound uh so what i did is i was like what do i have to do to get these going um because they would make really good speakers for my PC. And uh, I also listened to the Accidental Tech podcast um, that has Marco Armand on there. And a while back, he had this episode about audio interfaces, and he had a bunch of recommend recommendations. Well, I looked at those, and those were very expensive for what I was trying to do. But his low-end one, which was just over $100, was this amp that hooks up to your computer. It also does Bluetooth, um, and now I, uh, have all of my, uh, that amp hooked up to my computer dock, wherever I dock my surface in, uh, now I get, uh, to use my in-wall speakers or not in-wall, but on-wall speakers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, reading some of the reviews here, you're right. Like people really love these things. Like, uh, this one person said, this, this is the best system compared to, uh, price value ratio, you get the ultimate theater experience, you know, so they're obviously not like, you know, like super, super expensive speakers, but I mean, these are like, you know, good mid end speakers that, that you basically got for free, which is always a win. And and I tell you what, for pounding out some Pandora in the middle of the day when I'm working, like, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to like go crazy with these because I work at home. And my wife is at home as well. But I mean, they sound really good uh, at, at, at low to medium volumes. Yeah. Did they leave you the sub? Uh, no, they did not leave the sub. They took the sub with them oh. and left, and they left all of the uh, on-wall speakers. So yeah, okay. That so I sense. only put two up. So I actually have two more of these speakers where I could reuse elsewhere. There you go. 
Hmm. <laughs> Outside of the truck? No. <laughs> I don't think they'd last long there. Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, that, that's awesome whenever you can take something free like that, throw in an amp and, and make something of it. Very cool. Okay. Any, any closing thoughts? Uh, I, I think with just that topic that, you know, uh, that I had about reclaiming things, uh, I, I kind of follow Scott Hanselman, uh, and not so much for the tech or anything else, but one of the things that he usually puts on there a couple times a month is he goes to his local Goodwill a lot. Yes. And his Goodwill is amazing. Like he, he lives in Portland, Oregon, and there must be some like, like tech mecca there where people just offload amazing things. He finds really great electronics, monitors, like just odd electronics that are great. And, yeah. you know, I love uh, repurposing old things uh, when they're still useful for you. I think he goes there a lot because I mean, every time I go, there's just crap. And I live like, I live in a pretty nice city. And then I used to live out in the uh, Seattle area. Um, and, uh, I, w- I went to the local Goodwill and it was just never like that to give you an idea that where I lived, you know, that, uh, so Amazon, this is a new story we didn't cover, but they have these little, um, self-driving robot things that are allegedly going to be delivering, you know, they have like a trial. They're going to be delivering stuff. Have you seen those Carl? Yes, I have. They're like these little six wheel things. So if you look, those were, did you see the area? It was Snohomish County. That's where I lived. <laughs> nice. So if I, if I was still out there, um, I would have at my disposal and, and man, when I was out there, we had the best Amazon experience because, you know, basically we were in one of like the two counties that was like the test bed for everything. Like, Hmm, what if we do 60 second delivery, <laughs> you know? So, you know, just the, there, there was the, you know, they started taking like photos of like when they drop stuff off. Like we had that like two years before like it rolled out. And, um, I mean, it's just pretty wild. So th- those robots were, uh, were out there, but anyway, um, I never found anything good at Goodwill. I'd always gravitate toward like that electronic section. And it was clear that, um, whoever, was like the person who was deciding like what gets thrown away and what gets put on the shelf. They clearly had no idea what they were doing um, because it's like, Oh, kids record player that doesn't have an arm. That's clearly worth selling, you know, $10 cause it's tech. Um, so, I mean, it was just, it was always a cesspool every time I went to mine. So I think he, he must have somebody who is like just tech savvy enough or is just really good at identifying those things and getting them on the shelf. So that's pretty lucky. Cool. Okay. Should we close it out? Let's do it. Let's do this. Okay. So where can people find you, Carl? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash why techie. So it was awesome talking to you, Carl, about, man, about a whole bunch of cool stuff that we can hack. 